If you have any topic suggestions that you'd like to hear more about or questions that you're hoping that we could maybe address on a future podcast, you can click the Get in Touch box right on our website at ktsmoneymatters.com. And the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available either on our website, KT's Money Matters, or on Amazon. Or of course, you can find our link in the show notes. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey there, and welcome back. This is KT at ktsmoneymatters.com coming to you tonight with your tips and quips and ideas about managing money, growing money, spending money, saving money. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about housing. I usually don't work at night, so that's why I keep saying tonight, I keep forgetting that it's actually probably going to be daytime by the the time you hear this show. But for the sake of this, Let's talk a little bit about what it costs to live in America and how it is that you might alter your own personal economy to get past or provide insight and help to those that you love that might need a little help getting over the bridge. The trends of national home affordability are looking a little dismal. In fact, one of the things that's really difficult is even though there there don't seem to be a lot of jobs available, there certainly doesn't seem to be a lot of wage growth either. In fact, wages in America have been growing slower than inflation for quite a long time, nearly a decade. Now that's a problem because everything else has been growing a little quicker than inflation and housing after the last correction has been growing at about twice the rate of inflation for the last 10 years. So if it feels like buying a home is getting further away instead of closer, you could be right. I'll talk about that, trends in national housing, and how to right your ship financially if your goal is to purchase a home and start in the quote American dream or help someone that you love start their first home. Or if you're just looking for a better apartment. That more after the break. Your host, KT Thomas, is the Director of Portfolio Services at New Day Solutions, a firm offering expertise in retirement planning with more than 25 years of experience, dedicated to high net worth individuals, families, and business owners. We work with you to have a coordinated approach for your comprehensive investment goals, providing concierge service for all generations from a team who can see things from your side of the table. Go to NewDaySolutions.com for more information. We all know that housing is one of the biggest ticket items out of our cash flow. In fact, for most of us, it's likely to be the biggest expense that we make on a regular and ongoing basis. And you could be, quote, a term we used to use all the time, house poor, if you're spending more than 30% of your income on housing. 30%, you say? Well, here's what I'll say to you. A lot of people pay 30% or even more. And they're not even really thinking about how that's connecting to where they live. They just are living where they want to live and are trying to figure out why it is every single month that it's always just too tight. There's a certain group of people, though, that this happens to more than most first-time homebuyers. Now, 
all the parents on the line can remember a time when they basically spent every dime that they had to get into their first home and they didn't eat out for a year and they didn't spend any extra money and they couldn't afford to do a thing. And then eventually they got to a place where their cost of housing was more reasonable because their income went up and they're kind of past the getting in and they kind of get in and get on with their lives. But that first couple of years as a first time home buyer can be very challenging because suddenly you're paying significantly more of your income toward housing and you now own a house and there are all these things that you want to do with it. So a lot of people buy a house and the first thing they do is figure out what it is they're going to change. And what I usually say to first time home buyers is decide what it is you can live with and for how long. Because let's face it, there's no castle out there for the first time home buyer where they get absolutely everything they want. They don't need to spend anything in the house. They just move on, unpack and call it a day. We all have things that we want, but we don't need all of those things right away. So if I'm going in with, you know, some money down, but the mortgage is going to be a large percentage of my income, I want to be particularly careful about adding on anything that might tip that scale, especially if it tips it over 30%. Next group really affected by this is renters that live in a metropolitan area. Rents in a metro area like my beloved Boston, not very far away, can be significantly greater. If I want to live in the city, I'm going to pay just a lot more. Now, there are a lot of benefits to living in the city. As an example, you might not need a car if you live in a city. However, the cost of convenience is in there in that because you live in an area where you can walk to everything, everything costs a little bit more. And rent is no exception. In fact, metropolitan area rents can be 20 to 40% higher than neighboring suburban rents. That's a lot of extra money. The last group of people that I find have a lot of problem with managing that 30% budget around housing is renters seeking two bedrooms or more. Now, we all like to have a little extra space, but what you really have to ask yourself is, is that extra space really worth it? One of the things that I find with renters is that if you pay too much in rent, it pushes away your ability to buy a home later on. So I spent some time looking at the national averages for what people are paying in rent around the country for one-bedroom apartments versus two-bedroom apartments. And in general, two-bedroom apartments were about $400 a month more than one-bedroom apartments in almost every metropolitan area. Sometimes it was even greater than that because two-bedroom apartments are really not that available. So if you can get by with a one-bedroom apartment and your goal is really to buy a home and this apartment is just a stopover on your way to buy a home, then my recommendation is you think about a one-bedroom apartment and take the $400 a month that you're likely to spend extra for the two-bedroom and save it toward the house. If you do that, it could be an extra $5,000 a year towards the kitty for the money that you'll use to buy the next home. Same is true if you live in a metropolitan area. If you are willing to live one or two towns in almost any direction from a what I think about as a hot property town, you could save $400 a month. I came up with that number again. It was really funny how much, you know, about 20% just by deciding that you were going to live in 
Woburn, Massachusetts instead of Burlington, Massachusetts, or you were going to live in Malden, Massachusetts instead of Boston, you could save about $500 a month. Now, granted, there's a lot of difference between those cities, but they're only about five miles apart. So what you really need to ask yourself is that five miles really worth it? Or would I be better off saving that money so I can buy a house in the place that I really want to be in? That leads to that home ownership question. I always think this is funny because what happens when you go to buy your first home is you realize just how expensive it all is. And without a good down payment, 20%, you're going to pay something called private mortgage insurance. And I've talked about this on the show before, but just think this is a way for you to pay two to $400 a month more on your mortgage for the rest of your life because you did not have 20% down. Okay, parents, parents of kids that would like to see them buy their first home, ever wonder what the best gift is that you could give your child? Education, everybody knows that. Buy them a way that they could make a living later in life. Second best way, no, it's not a big wedding. It's to help them buy their first home. So how would you do that? Well, first, what I would say to you is I would want my daughter to save some of the money herself, maybe 5%. See, if she can save that 5%, what that says to me is she can afford that mortgage when she gets it. The average cost of home ownership versus the last rent apartment is about 20%. So if I think about my living expenses renting at, say, $2,000 a month, I can expect my home ownership expenses to be more like $2,400 a month. So if I can't save $400 a month, I really can't buy because I won't be able to pay that mortgage either. So your kids save some of the money and then maybe you gift them some of the money. Whatever you do allows them to pay less in this bucket of private mortgage insurance for the rest of their lives. Now, a lot of parents aren't in a position to do this, but for those of you that are, this is a really big deal for them because this means they'll get a better interest rate on their loan. They'll reduce the amount of private mortgage insurance that they spend for the rest of their life it will be easier for them to get the cost of their housing under that 30% target, which is really where it becomes affordable to have the rest of your life. Like, I don't know, maybe someday your kids will want kids. Maybe you want grandkids. Well, if your kids are house poor, they're going to work and you're probably not going to get grandkids. So if you want grandkids, maybe you help. Now, if you're young and you're listening to the show and you're thinking about buying your first home and your parents maybe aren't podcasters, I think it's fair to ask. Now, here's the thing. Not all parents are in a position to help and not all parents want to help. But sometimes they don't know what it is that you need the most. And what you need the most is less mortgage, less fixed expenses, and less money going to other people that don't benefit you. So if you're thinking about buying a house in the next two to four years, you are going to want to start living cheaper now. Save more money because, frankly, the cost of wages is not going up as quickly as the cost of home purchasing. And that might all change. You kind of never know when home prices are going to swing the other way. But what I'll say to you is it's been very tough for employees to grow their wages despite the fact that the employment rates are low because companies, frankly, are not still paying you know, they haven't, there hasn't been enough shortage that people are getting significantly more money. So you're going to need to save more money. 
So if I'm two to four years, I might move to a one-bedroom apartment. I might move home with my parents if I could stand it or if they could stand me I'm, and save all that money. People do it. And I know working people that are doing it right now. Moved home to save money. But if you're going to move home, you better be saving all that money. Because nobody wants a freeloader who's going to stay forever. So make sure that you actually really are saving that money toward moving out and buying your own home. Or move to an apartment a town or two away from your ideal town and bank the difference of that money. And then try to buy a house in the town you really want. And about buying. In buying a home, you want to think about, I could stay here for at least five years, likely 10 years. Why do I say that? Real estate prices can go up and down. And what you don't want to be is stuck in a house where you owe a lot of money and it's worth less than you owe on it because you put a little bit of money down and now you're trying to sell it or refinance it. And you're unable to do either because you simply don't have enough equity. Most of the time, five years will fix that problem. But every once in a while, if the economy gets particularly bad, read 2008, you would have to be 10 years to get to a place where you had gotten back if you had bought in your house, say, in 2006. So you want to think about this, not like a little starter home, I'm going to blow through this, and in a few years, we'll be in the next big home. You want to think, I could stay here at least five years or longer. If you don't feel like what you're looking at is a five-year home, you should wait, rent, save more money, and buy a five-year home when you're ready to be in a five-year home. Why? Because the cost of being wrong can be so expensive that all the upside and the tax savings and everything else that people talk about are kind of neither here nor there if you need to sell the home and it's not worth enough to justify what you've paid for it. Because homeownership isn't supposed to be renting with a real estate tax bill. You're actually supposed to be able to build equity in your home, live there, make it what you want over time and stay there. It's not a lease. You're not passing through. This is a place you're looking to stay. So if you're in a place in your life where you're not at that commitment place, regardless of your tax bracket and whether or not people think it's time for you to buy a house, if you're not there, don't do it. You buy when you're ready to settle down and you may not be ready to settle down even if the money is there. You may not be willing to settle down, even if your parents want you to settle down and they'll give you the down payment. You want to settle down when you're ready. You want to rent while you're not in that place. Maybe you haven't figured out where your career is going to be long-term. Maybe you'd be willing to take a job in another state to get a better opportunity, but you just haven't figured that out yet. While all of that is going on, you rent. That's what renting is about. It's temporary residence. Why do I bring this all up today? So, you know, I'm kind of a data shopper. On Realtor.com, which is a site that you can use to look up houses and talk to realtors, this spring, for the very first time, the median home price in America crossed over $300,000. And the median starter home was $200,000. 
Now, one of the things that's happening with starter homes is that the inventory in America is dropping. In fact, it's down 9%. There's a lot of reasons why. Partly because there are not enough first-time homebuyers coming into the marketplace. Secondly, because builders want to build the biggest houses they can because they get paid based on how much square footage the house has. And so they want to build bigger houses. And frankly, first-time homebuyers aren't really big house buyers. So if I know I've got to spend two to $300,000 to get in my first home, pretty much anywhere in America, and frankly, in some parts of America, significantly more. You know, a great example is to look at some of these hotbed areas like San Francisco, where it's twice that, meaning twice 300,000 just to get into a starter place, six, seven, 800,000. That's a lot of commitment. You got to be really committed to pay that price. Now, there are still pockets where you can do better than that, especially rural communities. But even in New Hampshire, the average price is 200,000. And New Hampshire is kind of rural. So if I'm not committed, I'm not buying, I'm renting. I also, even if I'm buying, I'm willing to look two to five miles away from my target town. I'm willing to look in little communities that border my town. And I'm also willing to look at what the town offers that I need versus what the town offers that I want. Last, it's really important to look at the real estate taxes of the town that you're considering. Some towns are known for the benefits that they provide. And as a result, their tax bill also can be significantly different. Other towns are kind of like, you know, we give you what you need, but not a lot more than that. And as a result, your tax bill is less. Coming from the great live free or die state of New Hampshire, what I'll say to you is New Hampshire likes the idea that you pick what you really want and pay for that, but you don't pay for what you don't want. Some states believe that everybody should pay a lot and everybody should be able to get a lot. Towns can also be that way. It's important for you to think about what kind of community you actually want to be in. Do you have kids? Are you thinking about educating your kids in that town? Then the school system's important. You're not educating any kids in that town? What do you care if the school system's unaccredited? You really don't. You really only care about the things that matter to you. Now, people will say, oh, this kind of house will have a great resale value later on. And frankly, if you're paying a premium for it now, it better have a premium problem later on. If you buy a discounted house because, let's say, the school system is not as good or the services are not as robust, you'll probably do just fine when you go to sell that house because there'll be somebody else that's looking for those things too. So buy the house that works for you in the community that works for you. And make sure to keep your eyes open and look at other communities. Why? Because if this trend continues, the cost of housing is only going to become more challenging. As we get ready for the Federal Reserve to look at even more interest rates in terms of reduction this summer, we could expect a cut in mortgage rates that likely could make the cost of housing a little bit closer. I'm not saying that it's not a good time to buy a house, but after a 10 year expansion, don't expect to find a cheap one. Until we talk again. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, 
go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.